You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A student accused in that coordinated arson attack that caused substantial damage and forced the evacuation of Langara College is facing additional charges tonight. Our Paul Johnson is live in Vancouver with the details. And Paul, the new charges are actually tied to alleged incidents in the weeks leading up to what happened at the college. Yeah, that's right, Chris. It turns out there may be a big backstory to that arson attack on Langara College, which was a chaotic and frightening couple of hours earlier this week as multiple incendiary devices were set off inside the college. It was evacuated and closed down, and it was practically a miracle that there weren't any serious injuries. The man accused of doing it, 23-year-old Nasruddin Abdusamad Ali of Surrey was in court today where prosecutors have charged him with two additional crimes that had taken place weeks before, according to police. Police say they knew about these, but it wasn't until the arson attack that they were able to connect the dots. On March 7th, Ali allegedly assaulted another student at Langara. Then a few weeks later, he's accused of robbing another person. Here's VPD's Jason Doucette. Later in the month, on March 26th, it's alleged that Ali approached another student from Langara College in the area of 53rd and Fleming Street in Vancouver. There's some sort of altercation, a robbery occurred, and the suspect fled. Police were called right away. Um, Mr. Ali immediately became a suspect. As our investigators were working up the file to get the appropriate information to provide to Crown Counsel, the April 1st incident occurred. So the logical question, were these additional alleged crimes, did they have something to do with what took place with the arson attack? Were they a motivating factor? Is there a connection? Police have not laid out a theory with respect to that. The accused himself, Ali, did not speak in his court hearing today. This case, though, is far from over. We expect we'll learn more about this. Chris? No doubt. Continue our coverage. Thanks very much, Paul Johnson in Vancouver. Now, a Burnaby man convicted of criminally harassing his ex-wife is back in court. Patrick Fox appeared in court today for a bail hearing. He was arrested Thursday by the Burnaby RCMP charged with breaching his probation order. Fox was convicted back in June 2017 of criminal harassment for operating a so-called revenge website targeting his ex-wife and also unlawful possession of a firearm. He was sentenced to three years in prison and three years probation, given a lifetime ban on firearms and barred from any communication with his ex-wife or her family. Details about his appearance today are limited because it was covered by a publication ban. New developments tonight in the SNC-Lavalin controversy and the fallout for former Attorney General and Vancouver Granville MP Jody Wilson-Raybould. There are reports Wilson-Raybould asked her successor not to override a decision to make SNC-Lavalin face a criminal trial. Global News asked Wilson-Raybould about that allegation today. Nadia Stewart has her response and how her constituents are feeling about her running as an independent. For three and a half months as the Attorney General, I sought to protect the independence of the prosecutor from any political interference. After everything that's happened, Vancouver Granville MP Jody Wilson-Raybould says it's simply something she would never do. Shooting down reports, she asked that her successor, David Lametti, not reverse a decision to make SNC-Lavalin face a criminal trial. 
I have never and I would never interfere with the independence of the prosecutor and I certainly won't interfere with a decision of an attorney general. So um, that is absolutely false. In a lengthy interview with the West Block's Mercedes Stevenson, Wilson Raybould says she's surprised by all the negative comments she's been receiving over the last several weeks on social media from fellow politicians. She's no stranger to politics, but she was a fairly new member of the Liberal Party, at least up until Tuesday when she was kicked out of caucus by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau as the SNC-Lavalin affair reached a boiling point. Wilson Raybould says she joined the party because she believed in it, and her intention has never been to bring down the party leader. I, I didn't have an endgame. I, I don't have an endgame. No endgame and an uncertain political future. Wilson Raybould says running again is something she's still thinking about. Question is, will she do that with or without a party? Independents don't have a great reputation or a great record for being able to get elected. UBC political science professor Gerald Byer says there are factors working both for and against her. She's the kind of person who can win as an independent, but even the people who win as independents have a really marginal ability to affect what's going on in Canadian public life. In her riding, voters are split on whether they support her as an independent. I don't know how good she is as a politician, but at least she took a stand, which is rare for a politician to do. I think Justin Trudeau is using her basically as a way to seem like he was woke to what's going on, and it was just... It was, it was all fake. It's going to make it really interesting on election night to see how badly it, it splits up the vote. It's going to go three ways at least, maybe four. To be clear, Wilson Raybould says this is a decision she's not rushing to make, even though the countdown to the fall election has already begun. Nadia Stork, Global News. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now from Victoria. And Keith, this wouldn't be a first. There have been similar circumstances where MPs have won on re-election as independents. Yes, uh, in fact, over history, there's almost 100 people who have served as independents in the House of Commons, uh, either elected or uh, having become independent because they've been forced or wanted to leave a caucus uh, or the party that elected them to begin with. Provincially, though, in B.C., we've actually had a fairly recent case of an independent member actually getting elected twice. That's Vicki Huntington in, uh, from Delta South, who served uh, quite well as a very popular independent MLA for two terms here. I think a lot of people in legislature right now kind of wish Vicki Huntington was back here because she did add a breath of fresh air and nonpartisanship. And also federally, of course, B.C. is the home of uh, the late Chuck Cadman, who had served as a, originally as a Canadian Alliance MP, but then when he failed to get a nomination, he served as an independent. Gerald Byer, who you saw in, uh, in Nadia's piece, is right, though. It's hard for independents to really leave their mark. Chuck, Chuck Cadman, I think, uh, was very popular, uh, unfortunately died uh, too early and was uh, succeeded by his wife, Donna. But uh, we had independence in BC and they have proven popular in the past not a lot of them but it does happen from time to time so if Wilson Raybould does run as an independent where is she going to draw the votes from or or put another yeah. way which party could she potentially hurt the most yeah, very good question. I, th I would think on paper she would hurt the Liberal Party of Canada more than the others. I can't see new Democrats flooding to voting for her or Conservatives. Right now they're lauding her and saying she's great because she's broken with Trudeau. But once they get into an election campaign, both those parties want to win that seat. So she's not going to get support from the NDP or the Conservatives. The question is, can she get enough Liberal votes to avoid simply being a vote splitter and allowing the NDP or the Conservatives to come up the, the middle? Both the Conservatives and the NDP had roughly 26% last time. Uh, so they're both competitive with each other. 
other. If, uh, if uh, Ms. Wilson-Raybould just splits the Liberal vote, though, that will allow one of those other two parties to win, unless her personal popularity is such that can she, she can emerge as an independent, successful independent candidate come October. We await her decision, don't we? Yes. Yes, yes. All right. Thanks very much, Keith. We'll see you in October. All right. If you want to see the full interview with Jody Wilson-Raybould, you can catch it on the West Block with Mercedes Stevenson this Sunday. North Vancouver RCMP are appealing for the public's help to find a missing man. Take a good look. 60-year-old Vincent Chi was last seen in this area around 10 a.m. Tuesday in the driveway of his Lynn Valley home. His family says that he has memory issues, but he usually does not wander off. North Van RCMP asking everyone, especially those in the area, to keep their eyes peeled in the hopes that they can find him quickly. Well, this is unusual for him. He is familiar with the Lynn Valley area. In fact, he knows a lot of the trails. He often walks around uh, Rice Lake. Uh, but so far, efforts to find him on the trails and around Rice Lake uh, have been unsuccessful. RCMP are asking everyone to keep an eye out, particularly those who live in North Vancouver and Lynn Valley. Sometimes people who have gone missing have ended up in neighbors' backyards or sheds. Have a look around. Now to a tiny pest that's creating big drama in Vancouver. The race is on to stop the spread of the invasive Japanese beetle. Jill Bennett has more on the damage it can cause and how the city is fighting back. Every day, people enjoy Vancouver parks and the False Creek seawall. But what they might not know is they could be carrying with them a notorious hitchhiker. They'll jump on a bike, a backpack, they'll arrive on a, maybe a boat, who knows. He's talking about this, the invasive Japanese beetle, first discovered in False Creek in 2017. Right now, the beetles are in the larva stage. As they grow, they become extremely destructive. They're actually a flying insect, and they will fly, and they will actually strip a tree, uh, a, a plant, over 250 different species of plant. It will strip them clean of any leaves. So the park board has declared war on the invasive pest. Last year, the bulk of the beetles were found here in David Lamb Park. On Sunday, crews will be treating the turf field, the trees, even the road medians with a larvicide. They're going to treat for it. People have to stay off the turf fields and stuff while they're doing it. Ooh. <laughs> I... Well, if it gets rid of them, if they're a danger to people, then let's get rid of them. When you've got a little dog that's into like eating everything it finds. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a concern. While some people have concerns, the substance used is safe. But park goers are being asked to avoid the fields while the spraying takes place and until they are dry. It's a harmless product. It it's, doesn't harm bees, butterflies, any type of mammal. It doesn't harm them personally. You'll see when they see the spray tank out. Uh, the person would be wearing a long shirt and sleeves. They would not be wearing a spray mask. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency has also established a regulated area around False Creek. Moving plants and soil material out of the area is now restricted. Well, if you're taking your green waste from Vancouver to Coquitlam or the North Shore, we will have staff at those transfer stations throughout the summer to do outreach and make sure people aren't bringing non-compliant material. The spraying of about 70 hectares of Vancouver lands and parks will continue into May. Jill Bennett, Global News. Right now, though, there is already a billion-dollar plan to build SkyTrain from Surrey out to Langley. But another idea is being floated tonight, and it's a commuter rail line that's already built but abandoned years ago all the way out to Chilliwack. A group wants to revive the old interurban rail line using hydrogen-powered trains. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, some high-profile supporters say it's the perfect choice. What's old 
is new again. The last interurban train rolled in the Fraser Valley 70 years ago. We could start the service, say, from the Patella Bridge through to Abbotsford. But now a group wants to resurrect the passenger rail service. Leave it up to us to prove to the governments of the day, both municipal, provincial, federal, and everybody else, that this has the support of the communities. While people in Langley are used to fully loaded coal trains barreling through the downtown core, Rail for the Valley is promoting hydrogen-powered cars. And because the tracks are already here and are being used, this kind of rapid transit could be brought on stream for pennies on the dollar compared to SkyTrain. For in the area of 12 to 14 million dollars a kilometer, we can put this into service all in. Rolling stock, road closures, the whole nine yards for about $1.3 billion. While Doug McCallum is pushing his $3 billion vision 16 kilometers down largely empty chunks of the Fraser Highway, Champions of Light Rail say the interurban already passes by the population centers in Surrey, Langley and Abbotsford. Urban planners who have studied the benefits say this is the best deal possible for taxpayers. It's very hard to reverse from a car-oriented strategy that's organized around the Transcan Highway, essentially for that whole valley, and everybody's dependent on their car. It's only now that we're realizing the real problems that the car has. You simply can't, buy, you can't build enough roads to keep up with the demand. TransLink and the region's mayors had already decided on route and technology in the valley, but all that changed last October. Nothing to say this rail line can't be put to use sometime down the road. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Thousands of British Columbians are finding out their private, personal data might have been compromised in a bungled government office move. As Kylie Stanton reports, the files were contained in a storage system that's long been obsolete and now appears to be lost. And you just slide it in with the film. It's small, compact, and can store a ton of information. Hit the load button. The once revolutionary technology is now almost obsolete. Microfiche. It sounds familiar. Rarely thought about in this day and age. Yeah, forward. That is until a box containing the personal information of 8,000 British Columbians disappears. Following a recent office move, uh, we detected that a box of microfiche was missing. The BC Pension Corporation declared the privacy breach on January 28th. At risk, college pension plan members with service from 1982 to 1997. The information that might have been exposed includes their name, social insurance number, date of birth, even their pensionable service and salary information. It took two months before members were notified by mail. We had to pull backup copies from our previous systems in order to identify all the members. It was a very complex process, but we are obviously to notify members per privacy best practices. The corporation says any breach is serious, but this one is considered low risk. In order to read the data, one would need to find a machine like this one here, and they'd have to figure out how to use it. Still, BC Pension is taking steps to make sure its members are protected from any potentially unlawful activity. Currently, there's no, no evidence of any malicious players, and we will search again regularly to, to confirm that. The Office of the Information and Privacy Commissioner has been notified of the breach and has opened a file. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. 
Saturday marks one year to the day that a horrendous bus crash shocked Canada and the world. Global's Rebecca Lesko spoke to some of the people who are still dealing with the emotional fallout from the Humboldt Broncos tragedy, including one man who could have been on that bus. Just four words and a logo on a t-shirt. Little did we know what we had gotten ourselves into. The day after the Broncos bus crash, this shop in Humboldt started a t-shirt fundraiser. Mike Yeager hoped to sell 100 shirts. Instead, he sold 12,000 in less than a month. $20 from each $25 shirt went to support the families. And one year later, business is still booming. It's like the world wants to be a humble Bronco. Like the world wants to be a Bronco fan. Dan Torwalt says this season he saw the community rally around the team. He's been the Broncos color commentator for the local radio station for the past five years, working last season with play-by-play announcer Tyler Bieber. You get better at it because you get to know the players personally, right? So you can you get on the road with them and you can relate. So when you relate with them personally, then it's easier calling the game. Torwalt happened to be away on a holiday on April 6th. 2018. Otherwise, I would have probably been on the bus with Tyler, you know, sitting beside him on the bus going to the game, or else sometimes we would drive separate, right? So, you know, Tyler would have maybe, we would have drove separate and he wouldn't have been on the bus. Torwald says he's had to work through the what-ifs, but he was sure of one thing. Humboldt still needed hockey. The biggest thing was we just put the team back together. We had to start right from scratch. You know, we didn't have water bottles talking to the president, you know, didn't have water bottles or sticks or a skate sharpener. You know, you're starting right from scratch. A month after the crash, the Broncos said they'd have a team come fall. The mayor says that helped the community get back to a new normal. It's hard to go anywhere in Humboldt and not be reminded of the junior hockey team. You move forward and you never forget. You walk into the arena and we have the banners that are hanging from the rafters. We'll never for- forget. A team and a town leaning on each other, defining what it means to be humbled strong. There was every emotion played out in our community over the last year, and I think that strength was uh, in each other. Rebecca Lesko, Global News. Two Chicago police officers are lucky to be alive after that crash caught on a traffic camera. A drunk driver runs a light and slams right into their cruiser, luckily just behind the driver's door. No one was seriously injured. Police say the driver was two and a half times over the legal limit. And right now, some breaking details about a B.C. connection to an American tourist who was recently kidnapped while on safari in Uganda. Jay Durant is live in our newsroom. And Jay, this woman is now being held for ransom. And it turns out a couple from North Vancouver was with her in the Jeep when it all went down. That's right, Chris. Martin and Barbell Jurius, the couple seen here highlighted in this photo, were on that safari. They're both 78 years old. We just spoke to a longtime friend and fellow church member who tells us they are safe. The kidnapping happened at a popular tourist destination, Queen Elizabeth National Park in Uganda, on Tuesday evening. The American tourist, identified as Kimberly Sue Endicott, and a local guide were taken by unknown gunmen. Police say they have demanded a $500,000 ransom, but the couple from North Vancouver were not taken, and according to Jean Lawrence, are safe. They have tremendous faith. They're very active Christians, and knowing them the way I do, it might sound very corny, but it almost seemed like God was watching over them. 
they were comfortable traveling there. I believe this is their fourth trip to Africa. But when they said they were going to Uganda, I was shocked. Now, we've also been in touch with the couple's son. We'll hear from him and have much more on the story tonight on Global News at 11. Chris. Look forward to that. Thanks very much, Jay. All right. Prince Harry has created a lot of controversy calling on the UK to ban one of the most popular video games in the world. The Duke of Sussex has come out firing against social media and gaming, saying it's extremely addictive. He's gone so far as calling for a ban on the game Fortnite, saying it's designed to be addictive and keep people playing for as long as possible. Ironically, social media is filled with people criticizing Harry, some calling his comments patronizing. In health matters tonight, the province is finally going to pay for something in public schools that many health officials and students believe is long overdue. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, it's a change that will make a big difference for thousands of girls. One in seven Canadian girls has missed school because she can't access menstrual products. In BC, that's about to change. It's amazing. Like, it's so progressive. Like, because it's such a taboo topic, and that's what this is trying to do, is trying to break down the stigma and the taboo about menstruation. By the end of 2019, all public schools in the province must provide free tampons and pads in school bathrooms. Government is providing $300,000 in startup money and promising future funding as well. Should have been just a basic that was covered and included uh, a long time ago. In February, the new Westminster School Board voted to provide period products starting in September. This is mind-blowing for us. It's just been under three months since we first heard the idea from Dr. Tribe, and now change is sweeping across the province. The B.C. government is also giving $95,000 to the United Way Period Promise Project to fund menstrual products for those who can't afford them. With this funding, the United Way will work with up to 10 nonprofit agencies to provide menstrual products to vulnerable people and find better ways to address period poverty in communities. For many girls still in school, like Rebecca, it's hoped others will follow BC's decision. It shouldn't just be just BC, it should be Canada, it should be the world. Menstrual products, a necessary part of life for women and girls. And now, no longer a reason for BC students to miss school. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A fascinating new exhibit at the Museum of Vancouver shines a light on one of the most shameful chapters of B.C. history. It features artwork done by Indigenous children while they were at B.C.'s notorious residential schools. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the fact the artwork survived at all is remarkable. This was um, a thing I loved when I was a little boy, and I always fished with my dad. But at the tender age of eight, the fishing and the family time abruptly came to an end for Mark Otlio. I thought we were just going on a field trip. Oh. Then we got left behind there. Everything was different. His parents, members of the house at First Nation, have been forced to leave Mark at the Alberni Indian Residential School, where he and the other children were, in the words of the day, assimilated. They were actually actions of genocide, cultural genocide. And that included taking away all of the children's knowledge of their language, their culture, their territory. 
The residential school story is best told not just by the survivors, but by their art. That is the goal of the There is Truth Here exhibition, currently at the Museum of Vancouver. What we see in this exhibition are exceptional moments where children had incredible teachers who believed that art should be part of their education. The Incomeep Day School actually encouraged children to embrace both cultures in various creative ways. Until 1942, when a new teacher took over. And he assumed a more religious-focused curriculum and, in fact, removed the children's artwork and burned them. That Mark's painting of a salmon in a net survived all these years was a bittersweet surprise to him. And when I saw it, oh, emotions just sunk in. Like, I'm getting emotional now. Like so many, Mark endured abuse during his eight years in residential school, even contemplated suicide. That he is a survivor is thanks to the enduring friendships he built there. When people come here and they look at the art, what exactly do you want them to understand? Understand this, uh, all the pain we went through as children. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Incredible. Any parent can tell you that when it comes to food, almost all children love spaghetti. But after the forecast, find out why this particular dish sometimes makes children burst into tears. Don't worry, it's, it's, a, good, it's a good thing. Uh, but right now, let's check in with Christy for a look at the weather as we head into the weekend. Hey, Christy. Hi. Yes, so a warning has been issued by Environment Canada. Chris, we're talking about winds along with the rain that, and with this next system that pushed in. Uh, so it's mainly along the water's edge from the central coast through the Sunshine Coast, east coast of Vancouver Island. It includes the southern Gulf Islands and Victoria. So, of course, it's the weekend. A lot of people taking to BC Ferries. Make sure you check with your travel plans. Check with BC Ferries to make sure there aren't any delays. When will it happen? Between 7 a.m. and 5 p.m. It will come and go at times. Uh, so expect it throughout much of the day. Sustained winds 40 to 60 with the potential for some isolated gusts in the 70 to 90 kilometer an hour range. So we certainly have that possibility of it being a major event. But I think most people will only see that 50 to 60 kilometer an hour range. Nonetheless, we could see power outages in those areas and delays on the ferry routes. Metro Vancouver really will just be the water's edge that will feel the effects of it. We've had a few lightning strikes just in the last hour and a half, really. Nothing major. We will continue with the rain overnight, but it's easing off. We're going to see a little bit of a break as number two pushes further inland, and this is number three. That's the one that's going to bring in the wind and the rain for our Saturday, unfortunately, just in time as all the kids are heading out for, you know, baseball and uh, uh, all the other sports that are just starting because the season's just starting and it's going to push in likely around 9 a.m. Not heavy rain, but on and off rain throughout the day. And then we've got another wave that's going to move in on Sunday. We're just catching the north edge of it. So there's a possibility that could drop to the south and we may see a bit of sunshine on Sunday. But it's just a small chance right now. Across the south, a chance of showers across most regions. We'll see wet snow over higher terrain, wind and rain on and off. Not consistent, similar to what we saw today on and off, and then showers on Sunday and hoping for some sunshine on Monday. And I'll leave you with another cherry blossom shot. We're continuing with that trend. <laughs> Thanks to Michelle. This is her rearview mirror. All right. Thank you very much, Christy. Cool shot.
Well, a special dish that's been hugely popular in Germany for years is starting to spread around the world, although it does cause some confusion, and you can see why. It looks like a plate of spaghetti, complete with sauce and Parmesan cheese, but it's actually ice cream. It's called spaghetti ice. The ice cream is put through a modified potato ricer, topped with strawberry sauce and either coconut flakes, grated almonds, or white chocolate shavings. It was created back in 1969 by Dario Fontanella, who says the only downside is when children burst into tears when they think they're being served spaghetti instead of ice cream. Even though kids love spaghetti, too. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm all over cream, that. It looks really good, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Hi, Squire. How are you? Good. I think that looks great. It does. I want to try <laughs> that. That looks Me cool. Too. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Maybe it'll come here. Um, now, do the kids cry because they think it's spaghetti and it becomes ice cream, or do they think it's ice cream and it becomes well, spaghetti? Well, they they they're getting spaghetti. They think, they're getting, they think they're getting ice cream, and then they get a plate of spaghetti. It can be emotional for kids to not get what they think they're going oh, to be getting. You think it's Even emotional if it's for ice kids, cream. you should try me. <laughs> Put it over there. Put it oh, you can't even see it. Oh, it's so green, right? Like I know we're that's in a green screen. You can't see it, but this is this is the shirt what we're talking about. Yes. It's the shirt. But if we could get it in front of something, because we have a green background, and that's why that happens. It doesn't work, but we are supporting those who are humble, strong, Most and definitely. doing our best for organ transplants. Most for definitely. Sure. Okay, so the Canucks losing last night. They lost right at the end there to Nashville. Uh, means they cannot be worse than ninth worst in the NHL. If Anaheim wins tonight and the Canucks lose to St. Louis tomorrow, Vancouver would then be eighth worst? Yes. <laughs> Which is not bad because that would mean a little bit of a chance to win the draft lottery. Ninth worst means a 5% chance of winning next Tuesday's draft lottery. Eighth is 6% chance of winning the draft lottery. Not a big difference, but a little one. Uh, Elias Patterson, I'm still guessing he's going to be the NHL's Rookie of the Year. His biggest competition is Blues goaltender Jordan Binghamton, who has been a big reason St. Louis has rallied from an awful start to the year to become a playoff team. Patterson did his best work in the first half of the year. But as we thought, not being used to a long season and all the travel would slow him down, and it has. As you can see, his goal scoring went down month by month, really. He had a great shooting percentage in January, but he didn't play that many games because he was hurt. Uh, Has just one goal in his last 22. Has not scored an even strength goal since early February. He definitely hit a wall, but other teams began to focus on him, and he also started to pass a little bit when he was in shooting positions, perhaps a lack of confidence. But he'll learn how to play through tough checking, and he'll get stronger next year as well. All right, so the Habs are hoping the Rangers win this game against Columbus. Here's a good start for Montreal, but watch the reaction after this goal by Chris Kreider by John Tortorella. Not happy with the defense, but he's happy with this. Ryan Dezingle, one of the guys I got from Ottawa at the deadline, ties at 1-1. Then Artemi Panarin scores. Remember, they kept him instead of trading him, even though he's going to have a free agent this summer because they wanted to make the playoffs. 2-1. Looks like Columbus is going to win. And then with seven seconds left, Buznevich will tie it for the Rangers. So they're in overtime now in a game. Montreal hoping for a Rangers win because if they win, Montreal still has a chance to make the playoffs. Denis Shapovalov, Felix Auger-Aliassime, and Bianca Andreescu are grabbing all the headlines for Canadian tennis these days. But there is one Canadian who has made headlines of his own in the past. He's going to be coming back from surgery with the goal of being in Wimbledon this year. (laughs) 
Vashik Pospisil has experienced some of the greatest highs a tennis player can achieve. He is a Wimbledon doubles champion. He knocked off at the time world number one Andy Murray at the prestigious Indian Wells tournament in 2017. And he's also helped Canada make it all the way to the semifinals of the Davis Cup. And Vashik feels he still has more great memories ahead. After back surgery in January, Pospisil is hoping to return to the court in June finally healthy and with a new perspective. I never really realized you know, how much I'd taken uh, being on the court for granted and how much I actually enjoyed, how much I really enjoyed tennis. You can get, you know, get carried away in the whole professional side of it, and, and, um, but then suddenly when it's gone, you, you really realize how much you miss being on the court. And when I hit a few balls again, it was, I was like, the, like a 12-year-old. I was so happy. I like, couldn't believe how happy I was to, to hit to be playing again. At age 28, Pospisil is entering what he feels are his prime years as an athlete. He's confident he can return to the form that had him ranked as high as 25th in the world in singles and 8th in doubles. And when he does return, he'll hope to continue Canada's incredible start to 2019 with the emergence of teenagers Felix Oje Aliasim and Denis Shapovalov, along with veteran Milos Raonic, all ranked in the top 33 in the world. You know, even though you're friends and everything, you wish them well, you, you want to do well, right? You want to, it, it motivates you to do well. So I think Dennis and Felix have that right now, the way Milos and I had it. Pospisil still has a couple of months of rehab and practice ahead before he plays tournament tennis. The downtime could really work to his advantage, resting a body that's been through the rigors of pro tennis for over a decade. But it's also been a chance to look back on what's been a pretty good run for a kid who grew up in Vernon. You know, what a long journey it's been and beating all the odds. You know, my dad coaching me until, until I was 20 and uh, traveling with me on a low budget and very proud of what I've accomplished. But at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm very ambitious and determined and I, I feel like there's more I can, that there's more I can do. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to getting back out there. All right, so Kenneth Heiner-Moller, Canada's coach, or leader of our women's national team. They're getting ready for the World Cup this year, taking on England. Who do you think scored for Canada? Yep. This is like having Messi or Ronaldo on your national team. Mm -hmm. Christine St. Clair, her 180th international goal, and Canada wins it by the score of 1-0 against England. And that was played in Manchester. Uh, okay, Valero, Texas Open. Canadian Corey Connors is tied for second at minus eight. There's a lot of guys at minus eight, including Ricky Fowler, who makes this tough putt going up a hill. The leader is as Siwoo Kim of South Korea. He's at 12 under par, so a four-shot lead. Why such a big lead? Well, here's one reason, and I do mean one. <laughs> one stroke. One stroke, one bounce, two bounces, and in for the ace. That's why he's leading. There you go. Easy game. And Whitecaps tonight later, right? Yes, Whitecaps will be taking on Zlatan Ibrahimovic and the LA Galaxy. All right. Beautiful spot. Okay, let's get this, wrap this up with okay. uh, Sat Debris. So you have boys and you have a boy. One boy, yeah. Okay. So for some guys, having a daughter, especially when they're at dating age, gets to be a little, uh, Yeah. And uh, this commercial for Ikea shows you uh, how they can help. choose her boyfriend 
but you can choose your table. Choice. Arriving 16 November. <laughs> okay, so uh, this one from Carlton Mid, it's a beer commercial, how uh, romantic getaway ceased to be a romantic getaway. There you go. This place is amazing. You've really outdone yourself this time, babe. You deserve it. Mick? Rog? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Of all the places, look who it is. It's Rog and Diane. G'day. Hey, how'd you get here? Drove? They drove here. Mick? Ken! What are you doing here? What a coincidence! What are you doing here? You, me and Rog, all in the same place. Michael Jamison? Is that you? Dennis? As I live and breathe, it's What a coincidence. You would not bet that was going to happen, would you? This With is Rog true. and Ken. In trouble. They are in big, big trouble. <laughs> well, the, the ladies, I'm sure, are loving that they're together. Okay, so this commercial from Frisky's uh, shows how an older cat brings a kitten along in the house. Dear Kitten, since I have hissed at you the customary 437 times, it is now my duty as the head of the household to begrudgingly welcome you. Perhaps you are here to replace me, but I must do my duty and educate you on your new surroundings. Dear Kitten, this room here is basically a crapshoot. Either you get the petting of your life, and I mean two hands, like you don't even know what's going on, or they just lie there and don't do anything. For hours, it's weird. Oh, and I should also point out, on special occasions, they will leave the underwear drawer open to signal their appreciation of me. Just to be clear, it's my spot. It's perfect in there. Dear Kitten, because you are so small, you cannot jump, which is sad, sad for you, but eventually you will, and you will find the places that I refer to as up. This will come in handy, especially around the human larva, which I know smells like milk, but can be a bit grabby. Dear Kitten, you should be aware that there are two kinds of food. The first is sort of a dehydrated brown niblet. I think they gave us these because they're training us to be astronauts. Just a guess. The second kind is wet food. It is so special they keep it in little armored metal casings that no claw can penetrate. With no claws to speak of, the humans can somehow open them. It's like some dark magic. Dear Kitten, I should warn you of the monster known as Vacuum. It can eat and yell at the same time. And I've seen it eat everything. Seriously, like a paperclip and two cat toys. Didn't even flinch. To hide from Vacuum, you may use the curtains of invisibility. Oh yeah, you're good. Good hiding. Oh boy. So, kitten, welcome to the household. You'll do just fine. Try to stay out of the way of your human larvae, yeah. for sure. And yes. your vacuum. And your vacuum. <laughs> Didn't uh, even flinch. Okay, want to very quickly say, uh, tomorrow, of course, is the one-year anniversary of the Humboldt Broncos bus crash. Sunday is Green Shirt Day. Uh, the Logan Boulay effect, the player who donated uh, all of his organs to help so many people. 
We encourage you to find a green shirt, buy it, support uh, Canada's organ donation community as much as you can, and have a great weekend, everybody. Bye.